This is Encounters, a dialogue that brings you multifaceted life stories you don't want to miss. I remember it was around October, November 2009, and it snowed very early that year. I was on short-term sick leave, and in that month, one day, I remember visualizing drowning myself in the bathtub. Wow. And that's when I said to Tim, I said, okay, I should go see a psychologist now. This book, I felt a calling to write because I felt that a lot of people don't understand what it feels like in depression. Mm -hmm. And in a way, we need to normalize a topic because the challenge is when people don't talk about depression or anxiety or mental health is when they need help. They don't look for help and they don't know where to look for it. And, and by the time we look for help, it may be too late mm -hmm. in the sense that you know, some of these issues could lead to death. Right? Yes. People can take their own lives. So it's not a simple thing. What I actually learned from my own experience as well is we need to take time for ourselves and the world can wait sometimes. I spent a lot of time making sure I meet the expectations of others, not knowing whether those are really their expectations or just in my mind, and also never once asking myself, why do I do that? And then I don't take care of myself. I become my last priority. And I think that's just a, why would we not actually even think about it? I thought he was smiling. I still think he was smiling at me. And it was that moment that Tim was coming back and he saw that smile on my face and he said, wow, she hasn't smiled for months. I'm going to get her that bear. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Man Ling. My guest today is Inuk Lee founder of a social enterprise that provides mental well-being consulting and training to prevent burnout in workplaces. Having been raised in Hong Kong and Australia and educated in France, the UK and Hong Kong, Enoch has always had international aspirations. By the time she was 28, she had achieved everything she had ever worked for, a high-paying job in a multinational bank, a supportive and loving boyfriend, and lots of friends who admired her. So who could have imagined that such a strong, successful young woman would one day crumble to pieces, so devastated that she believed life was no longer worth living? In today's program, Enoch shares her personal journey in battling severe depression and finding a way out of it through rediscovering her inner child. If I ask you who you are and um, how do you define yourself, mm. what are you going to tell me? I think I am a paradox. I think I house in my sometimes deranged mind and I say... Bipolar? I'm not sure. Actually, no. I investigated that, but I think... In my mind, there is a lot of thoughts and feelings going on, which sometimes I myself do not understand. Conflicting. Conflicting at times. Also, I sometimes find I can sit here and talk about mental health and I wonder, but I'm 
What is pushing, it? What is it? And what is it to me? Or also, well, I'm pushing myself so hard, my schedule is full on, and I'm burning myself out. So what am I actually doing? Um, I love what I do, but then I can love it and then at the same time hate go, it as well. I know. Yeah. You love what you do and you go for something that you don't really like, but yeah. you have to do it. Yes. That's the paradox, yes. right? Yes. I'd okay. Say. Let me give you 100% of your time one day or one year, whatever. Yeah. Okay. What percentage do you want to give to yourself when you are not paradoxical? Well, I'm pretty sure I'm confused. Um, that's not going to change. <laughs> and um, I, I say the paradoxical is the foundation. But if I have to think of other things to define myself, I think I'm also a child inside an adult's body. And when I say child, I mean this part of me that is curious, that looks at the world with wonder, that wants to explore, that wants to challenge boundaries, that wants to try and test. And then the adult side of me go, or maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe that's not right. You know, the, the adult starts talking to the child. And I think there is part of my child being boxed up inside where that's my creativity. And that's my innovation. And then going, can I, can I not? Kind of like looking into my kid's eyes and they look at me like, can I take that cookie? Which one beat which one? The adult you or the child you? The adult me has a loud voice. See. Has a very loud voice. It brings you back to senses, right? Yes. And then the child will sometimes throw a tantrum. Whining. Yes. All the time. Yes. Um, a child and uh, a paradoxical person. Yeah. And you published yes. a book. Yes. It's called Stress in the City, mm. Playing My Way Out of Depression. Mm. The title of the book tells me that you suffered from depression once. Yes. Right? Actually, in the book. You advise people mm. do not wean playfulness out of children. Mm. This is the first time you very formally tell the world mm. that we need to have playfulness yes. in our life. Yes. Even though you are defining yourself as a child. And then the adults yes. beat the childish Enoch. Yeah. But being an adult, you still deserve playing. Yes. Why? I think that's that's the strive that I continue to remind myself is that as an adult, I can also be playful. I think if we look into research and theory, play is so highly correlated to children's learning. That's how they learn. That's how they make sense of the environment. We may, as adults, interpret a small child of six months grabbing another baby's face as, oh, don't do that, you will hurt somebody. But really what they're doing is they're, they're testing out their physical boundaries. They're wondering oh. what is this other thing that's lying there next to me. Will they like it or not? And if we actually give kids the space and observe, you will see that the other child, if they don't like being touched, they will turn away. And I think it is that sense of us not trusting children because we think we're adults, we know it all. We think we teach children something. We set their boundaries. We set their boundaries without understanding or giving them a chance to be who they are, without giving a chance to say, well, what are their emotions? How are they playing? And what are they communicating to us in their play? And I think play, if you, you look across the whole animal kingdom, not just humans, every animal plays, every animal baby plays. That's how they learn. That's how they grow up. And that's how human babies Giant grow up. Giant pandas. Giant pandas. Look at them. Yeah. Monkeys, Monkeys, chimpanzees. Lions, right. tigers. Yeah. But aren't the adults responsible for setting the boundaries. Otherwise, yeah. they go wild and dangerous, yeah. right? Yeah. And it depends what kind of boundaries we're setting. For example, my kids, I set the boundary of the space. In that space, it's safe. 
if my two kids want to fight each other, I'm like, fine, just fight. You know, as long as you don't do anything hurtful or injury. Scratch. Because in the in the fighting, they're also building their relationship. They're yeah. communicating in a way that we don't know, we don't understand. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so innate in us. And then growing up, and actually, I started to find out it's not just people growing up in China or Asia. It's across cultures, actually, um, that people start to think about achievements, you know, the the mm. competitions, and we need to work, quote unquote. So we shouldn't play because it's wasting our time. And slowly, we forget to play, and that's how we forget our creativity. Indeed.、Mm. How do you understand the saying "all work, no play" makes Tom a dull boy, and、yeah. so and so? Do you think your play theory is、mm. based on that? There is some elements to it where I understand dull as in somebody who is not boring, innovative, right? Yeah, boring, <laughs> not creative,、yeah. not、um, not aware of the environment. I think that's dull. Like things don't change, unattractive, right? And and so I think play is a it's a language, it's a thinking. It's a thought. It's not just games. It's not. It's not just sports. It's a. It's a whole lot of things. And if we look at the playfulness research, it also helps us find out about our unconscious mind and our emotions. You know, why do we like certain things or not? The first part about all work and no play. That's the issue I take with a lot of the understanding around play. It is as if the opposite of play is work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't quite agree because work can be playful. We can be playful at work. And to draw that distinction almost makes play a bad thing. Yeah,、right? yeah it's yeah. not productive. Yeah, in、right? that sentence, in、right? that very sentence,、right? and、yes. and it's a whole assumption of we have to work because if we don't work, we don't move on with our lives. And actually, if we look at a professor from Stanford University called Professor Stuart Brown, he has done decades of research on playfulness. And in his book called The Ambiguity of Play, he writes the phrase: "The opposite of play is not work." It's, It's depression. Ah,、oh, and he、okay. has done lots of research on how he's done. Firstly, research on animals, but also on humans, adults. If they have been deprived of play as a child, they can end up with a lot of mental health issues when they're older, and to the extreme where some people with psychopathic characteristics, it's correlated to their childhood not being able to play.、Mm-hmm. It's not a causal effect, but there is a correlation that he has found. From this sentence, "all work, no play" makes Tom a dull boy. I see two things.、Mm. One is definitely this sentence came from older generation, older survival、mm. era, yeah, because they put work and play as against each other. Yeah. The other thing is that it's a kind of the very initial awareness of all work could be dangerous. You know, play is also important. Yes. Otherwise, you leads to being dull. Yes. So. Introducing playfulness into adults' world. Do you think from this sentence that actually there was certain awareness long time ago that we should pay attention to both,、yes. you know, mental health. Yes, and play goes a long way. Like, and research on play in anthropology goes long way, decades ago. I think it's maybe also as times change, like you say, we pay different focus on it. Okay. You are excellent in everything when you were little. Are you a happy little girl when you were young? I don't remember being happy. I remember there were happy times. I remember incidents or I think you know, episodes of playing with my family, with my parents. They taking me out, but I don't. My memory of say when I was a girl, I think was very much wrought in actually melancholy. 
and looking for meaning, asking myself those questions and being told, oh, Enoch, you think too much. Don't think, just do. Um, so I did, and I, I did everything well, I would like to think. Um, Hong Kong is a small place, so being even top there may not mean so much. But in my context in that group, I did what I could. Um, but you're right, I don't remember being particularly joyful, being hopeful, or being full of life or bright, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the capacity or intelligence or hardworking or diligence yeah. to excel yes. by following other people's instructions. Yes. And very good at being obedient. <laughs> yes, uh, a good child yes. in a Chinese uh, culture connotation. Mm. And the one who's, who is driving you probably is your mother. Yes. Because I read through your other materials, you mm. called your mom a tiger mother. Yes. Tell me more about her. Is she a professional? What sort of dreams she have, you know, which turned into a kind of dynamic to drive yeah. her daughter yeah. into realizing things. I think she's one of those who grew up in a time where it was difficult. Um, she had a big family. She was not given the opportunity to go to school. In See. fact, she was prohibited by it. For what she is, you know, she's bilingual, so she learned English on her own. So for that, I really admire her persistence because she made herself who she is. She's by no means what you would call you know, a professional you know, she's not a professional doctor or anything like that. And she was a teacher for a long time and a private tutor. And she she was helping primary school, so it was across subjects. But, you know, she is a strong woman in that sense. She brought up the family. She made the decision that we need to go to Australia for a few years. Um, we emigrated out in the mid-80s and then, and then she decided, okay, I don't want my daughter being married at the age of 15 um, so we're coming back to Hong Kong because that was the culture there. She tried her best to make up for yes. things that she missed out. Yes and in some ways I think it's it's really helpful and it pushed me. Like I'm Otherwise not, you would not I'm, become what no, you are today right? No, no, yeah, for, you should be sure grateful. Not. I am extremely grateful and then that's where the paradox come in. There is also resentment to Mama, that. Mama I love you but at the same time I hate you. Exactly. And where's your father's role here? My father's always been quite quiet. And actually, I think my dad has a brilliant brain. I think if he had the opportunities these days, he would probably be diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. He is a genius in mathematics. He has a PhD in pure math. I never understood what it was until just a few years ago that somebody told me pure math is the philosophy of math. They talk in symbols, right? My goodness. But back in those days, he may not have had the same opportunity. We didn't understand. I always found him a little bit weird. Like He forgets things. I tell him to bring me the orange juice. He brings me the apple juice. But if I say, okay, this bottle, it's triangle. Daddy, bring me triangle. Then he brings me the accurate juice. I still remember that. Yeah, you know, really? I was in. Uh, I was eleven or twelve back in Hong Kong. A typical middle class family you are. Very typical. From right, yeah. and uh, you developed a lot of hobbies. Yeah. The basketball still remain, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Calligraphy. Yes. And interests. Do they help to make you happy? Um, that's a tough question because because hobbies yeah. are there for yeah. us to you know, be yeah. happy, right? Hobbies are our interests. Just to enjoy, yeah. I think it, it's also partly, is it the goal to be happy? And I don't take finding happiness as a goal because it's, for me, it's a bit empty, it's a bit fluid. I find if I had to put a goal to it, it's finding myself and that's forever evolving. I think happiness, it's, a, it's one way of finding ourselves, but not actually really the point of it. So my hobbies as much, they're, like my calligraphy, it's there for me to 
know more about myself. Calligraphy is your own choice. It's my own choice. Okay. There yeah, are, for, for once, there's my own choice. Yeah, yeah only one, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, what about other hobbies that uh, forced upon you by your mother? The piano was one. The basketball was, um, Wait, but basketball? I kind of enjoyed it in the end because I had my friends. Okay. Um, but I had to do competitions, mm-hmm. English debating. You didn't I, enjoy I it, did it when you I were was, little. No, but, but you I won. Was, I was so good at it. You were good yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. My husband hates that, by the way. Okay. <laughs> he can never and, win an argument. And you still hate it now. I hate it. I don't like debating. I don't like debating, and that's part of the paradox. I don't like speaking in public, but I do so much. All right. So, even though you have a lot of hobbies and interests. Mm. Because that were forced upon you, yeah. that want to contribute mm. to your being a happy girl. I think so. This is a lesson that all the parents out there, if they're listening to us, yes, should so. be avoiding. Right? Yeah. If you want your kids to learn things and to develop interests, make them interested in it first. Yes. Before forcing them on your child. So I can conclude actually that you don't really have playfulness in your childhood. I don't remember it to be very playful. No. So that's why you're making it up. Yes, and not only I'm living your, my childhood. I know <laughs> you're not only making it, it up for yourself, but you want others to make up. Yes, you know, and to catch up for things they have missed. And do you have it now? Playfulness in your life. I have it, and then I sometimes forget it. I do go into that habit. I think the habit of achieving and being a perfectionist is so ingrained in me. I sometimes forget it. I drive myself mad sometimes of achievements, and I actually have to slow down and go, you know, you're not playing, you're not enjoying what you're doing, you're not having fun. You need to take stock. You need to stop and think about what you're doing. Even though building a company, the work is what you enjoy. It's how you go about it, right? And I think the difference now is I am able to be much more aware sooner that this is happening than just running as a robot. So when you forget, who can to wake you up? I have to. You yourself. Yeah, my husband does that sometimes because he also sees me when I'm stressed out and stomping around the apartment. Because he's the closest to you, yeah, and he suffers from it. <laughs> Shall we have a like an alarm clock? You know, that would be good <laughs> <laughs> to implant into our brain. This hey, yeah. wake up! Okay, mm. and you were selected as uh, when you were little, right? Mm. Selected as one of the uh, only twenty students mm. to enroll in the uh, two major or double major bachelor's degree program in yeah. law and politics. Do you enjoy being at the top? Yes, for sure. I enjoyed that recognition. I did. And the law and politics. On um, which university you go to? I went to University went. of Hong Kong. And uh, the major you chose it yourself, or your mother chose it for you? So this is the interesting thing. My scores were not good enough to get into medical school. So law and politics is second choice, according to my mother. She sees education as the way out from poverty, from her own life. And she also sees how doctors in those times made a lot of money, so they can be financially independent. And of course, I think it's also being it's able to take、cause. care of them. Yeah. yeah, it's a noble cause, all of it. And so she thought, for me, that would be the best course because it gives me stability. However, I think the disconnect there is she wants stability. It may not be what I want. Chinese people always go. For stability first. Yes,、that. it's very practical. Yeah, yeah. And just now, I heard you talking about you hated economics, right?、Mm. But how come your first job or later <laughs> you, you you went into banking? <laughs> you see、goodness. how confused I am. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So, so is it because you went into an area you were not trained because, you know, law and politics definitely, even though it was not your own choice, but mm. you got well trained. Yes. Well trained means it was a comfort zone. Yes. And then all of a sudden you got a job in banking and yeah. banking is the unfathomed water. Yeah. So do you think even though you, you're always good at it's your habit to be good. Yeah. Excel and at the top. Yeah. Even though you performed very well, yeah. you were not happy, you were not safe, mm. you were not sure. Yeah. And this unconscious or subconscious or whatever you call it, yeah. fear was there. Yeah. Is that the reason you broke down later? Oh, that is, I think, a major reason of why I broke down. It's the inner defragmentation because I did not like who I was. And I did not like the life I was living, even though for a lot of people, it was the perfect life. They look up to you. Yeah, they look up to me. They're like, you have an expat contract. You're running around the cities. You're flying around business class, all of it. What's there not to like? So how old were you when you broke down? I was 28. And how many years already into banking? Five, six years. Six years is enough to establish, right? You're well established. Yes. Good income? Very good income. And a career good? Potential, yes, I, was, I, mean. I was top yeah, ratings. Yeah, I yeah, know, yeah. you have a lot of titles, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And good relationship even. Yes. Yeah, you have a boyfriend now, yes, now your husband. Yes. Huh? It's enviable. Very. And then you broke down. Yes. It's simply because it's not your own choice. You're passively being excellent. Yes, that's actually a really good way of saying it. Can I quote you in my next yes, book? Yes, being yes. Passively, passively excellent. It is true. And you know, when you ask about why banking, it was, like you say, was an escape I went into banking not because I love banking. I had no idea what banking was, but because that specific job offered me the opportunity to leave Hong Kong immediately. That was the only thing I was looking for. Why did you want to leave Hong Kong immediately? I needed to escape from my mother. And I say mother as a metaphor. That's a habit I also found growing up in that city. I love it for what it is, but also there are other things out there. Like I did a year exchange abroad during university. I'm like, there's a huge world out there. You went I to Australia? And I went to Paris that year. And, um, and I was like, there's a world out there that I don't know yet. So and law and politics was your major, right? Yes. You continue that major for a master's degree, right? I finished my master's in law part-time while I was working full-time. Yeah. And then uh, stress in the city, playing my way out of depression. Mm. Is this book a recording of how you fought and came out of depression? Mm. What lessons can we learn from reading it and from your personal experiences? It records my experience of just before my depression, the lead up to it, a lot of during it and also after it. So also a bit about the work I do now. But I think this book, I felt a calling to write because I felt that a lot of people don't understand what it feels like in depression. Mm -hmm. And in a way, we need to normalize a topic because the challenge is when people don't talk about depression or anxiety or mental health is when they need help, they don't look for help and they don't no. know where to look for it. And, and by the time we look for help, it may be too late mm -hmm. in the sense that you know, some of these issues could lead to death. Right? Yes. People can take their own lives. So it's not a simple thing. And I think the book... What I actually learned from my own experience as well is we need to take time for ourselves and the world can wait sometimes. We spend, I spent a lot of time making sure I meet the expectations of others, not knowing whether those are really their expectations or just in my mind. And also never once asking myself, why do I do that? 
and then I don't take care of myself, I become my last priority. And I think that's just a why would we not actually even think about it? When was the first awareness mm. that you got problem? I, Physical symptoms yeah. already there, right? Yes. But you refused to believe that. I was in denial for a long time. See? Yeah. yeah. And then a diagnostic sort of thing to make yeah. you, you know, wake you up that you got depression. You suffer from uh, migraines, migraines yeah, for a long time. Yeah. So that can be easily taken as physical problems, right? Yes, th- and that's it's what I did. mental. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I did. That because, was my excuse. Yeah, yeah. your excuse. Yeah. But who actually reminded you that it's actually mental, it's not so really physical? So my doctor reminded me and my boyfriend, my husband did as well. However, I did not listen to them and it was... I remember it was around October, November 2009. Winter is beginning. Yes. And it snowed very early that year Mm -hmm. on Halloween. I was on short-term sick leave Mm -hmm. and uh, the company was actually very supportive. They gave me a month's short-term sick leave because of my migraines and whatnot. And in that month, one day, I remember visualizing drowning myself in the bathtub. Wow. And that's when I said to Tim, I said, okay, I should go see a psychologist now. That was the moment you realized that it's not physical anymore, right? I think that was a moment where... You're scared. I was scared and mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on. But even as I went to see the doctor and he did the Beck depression inventory, mm-hmm. which tracks the changes in our habits and moods over the last uh, few weeks, he got the score and he said, you know, you have severe clinical depression. And my response to him, which he told me afterwards was, Okay, cool. When do I go back to work? Oh, my goodness. So I had no realization. Work is still your priority. Yes, because it was my identity. And I had no idea what depression meant. I had no idea what the implications were. I kind of knew, oh, I'm depressed. So the realization of something in me needs sorting out actually didn't come, I think didn't come until nine or ten months later. Because even as I saw the psychologist, I was in very strong denial that anything was quote-unquote wrong. Mm -hmm. Usually when we say we are depressed, we we are low, we're Mm. not happy, but it's not a clinical condition. No. Mm. But now we have to face it, right, to recognize it. Okay, so um, the bear thing. Yes. I think you're lucky, or by accident, or it's arranged by, by some sort of extra... You know, force out there. Yeah, out there. And you come in the shopping mall, right? I remember. Yes. You Solana. walk into a teddy bear shop. sort of a yeah. shop and you were smiling. Yeah. Well, I thought he was smiling. I still think he was smiling at me. And it was that moment that Tim was coming back out from the bathroom and he saw that smile on my face. And he said, wow, she hasn't smiled for months. I'm going to get her that bear. Were you aware you were smiling? No. 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 That's a natural display of your inner self. Yeah. And it was Tim who detected, yes. captured it. Yeah. Wow. And he's the one who, I think, brought back the playfulness in me. I owe it to him in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know, like, if we rewind and I had to do it all again or myself, if, I don't know. Or if he ignored that or if he ignored very it. sign yeah. or moment, then maybe... It take longer Probably. for you to come back. Yeah, maybe it would never come back. Sometimes maybe it could not. be possible, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you have more bears in yes. your life. Yeah, tell us more about the bear story. After that first bear, he's the one who said, "Why don't you give the bear a name?" And I said, "Fine." He'll off the top of my head, we'll call him Floppy. And he asked me why. 
I said, well, he just flops around, watches TV, doesn't do much with his life. And, you know, guess who that is? You know, that's, that's obviously an externalization of the situation I was in at that time mm-hmm. and also how I mm-hmm. felt. But mm-hmm. it was so difficult for me at that time to articulate it for myself because I was still at a stage where I was extremely angry and resentful at myself. I felt really ungrateful. Why do I need to be depressed? What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. All of that. But I think Tim was able to bring, start to bring the other side of me, the child out of me. And I started to have more bears. People gave me bears as presents. I started to collect them. They're the same bear, different sizes, different colors. And mm. as each one came, Cute. I gave them a name mm-hmm. and a personality. And I did it kind of, oh, it's fun. I didn't think much of it. And as I started to get a bit better over the year or two, my psychologist also said, why don't you start traveling if you're used to like traveling? Go find yourself, soul search, start writing. That's actually how I started writing my blog. And I did. And I would take my bear with me and I'll take photos of them. And I just entertained myself. I put them on a blog back then, you know, still blogging. And each time I put a photo up, I write a short story of this bear. And what they were doing is I was describing the world through the eyes of this bear in their personality. Okay. All right. And Mm -hmm. some of their personalities are like Fuzzy Bear, who's a banker bear, super calculating. So you see all the facets yes. of yourself. Yeah. They're all you. They're actually. all me. There's almost 40 of them now, and they're all me. Enoch's depression was a blessing in disguise. The same illness that destroyed her promising career has given her a new purpose in life, allowing her to start up her own business from scratch. In the next episode, Inuk will share more of her research in the psychology of adult playfulness and how she has helped others access their inner selves through her bear therapy, her writing and speaking. And that's the end of our show. I'm Manling. Thank you for joining me. Be sure to visit chinaplus.cri.cn and look for Encounters, where you will find other episodes of the show, along with Manling's Journals, which offers writings about our interviews. Mm-hmm.